One of the great questions um, I've seen work over the years in my own coaching practice is when I've asked people who are in various stages of business, wherever they are, who do you have to become in order to serve the people you want to serve? Okay, I am super excited to have on the podcast today my friend, Mike Kim, who is an amazing brand specialist, and he has a very unique way of addressing brand, and I can't wait to introduce him to you and to his way of looking at branding. He comes from the marketing, copywriting, consulting world, and has really developed a, a great focus on relationships and creating the people structures. And it was one of the things when we first met that I was intrigued by, because you really have done such a good job of creating relationships with people. And I felt that instantly when I met you. So that's what I want to dig into primarily. And I know you'll have a lot to say about that. So welcome to the podcast, Mike Kim. So awesome to have you here. Amira, thank you for having me. Uh, it is always fun to talk with you, no matter what. And I'm honored to be here. And to those listening, I hope to add some value to you today. Awesome. So, so talk to me about your philosophy on branding. Where do you come from? What's your come from on that? So branding to me is, is has always been about identity. And most of us know this, right? We know that branding originated with farmers burning a mark onto the, you know, the butt of their cattle, right? To say, that's my cow, right? And then years later, it expanded into the business world. And while I was researching the book, uh, for the book, uh, for my book, <clears throat> um, I came across this guy named Josiah Wedgwood. And he was an English potter, like born in the 1700s. And get this, Amir, he won a pottery competition hosted by Queen Charlotte. So this guy, in a move of genius started calling all of his pottery queensware and he became sort of yeah he became sort of the first business person ever who ever quote unquote branded his stuff so he started hosting uh these really you know fancy showrooms for affluent clientele he's the guy who came up with free delivery money back guarantees isn't that interesting and so this is hundreds of years ago now now today branding we just know it as you know companies and identity and I work in the quote unquote personal brand space where people are coaches, creators, consultants, experts. And so when I look at brand, I just look at personal branding as an extension of identity that includes your ideas, your expertise, your reputation, and your personality. It's those four things that really make up who you are, quote unquote, as a brand. And it doesn't even matter if you're the best or number one, because if we look at musicians, pop stars, actors, athletes, people don't only love the best person. They like people. They like their personality. They like a certain athlete. They like, you know, someone who's not as good as LeBron James. He's not my favorite player, even though he might be the best. There's a lot of that. So for us in this space, it's just understanding that it's a confluence of things that make up our public facing identity. So, so repeat those four things. 
for, for both me and the audience. Cause <laughs> they, cause I'm like, I'm, I'm paying attention here. So yeah. repeat those four things. So ideas. Expertise. So what ideas do you bring to the table? What's yeah, unique? That is that like the, the unique, the, your unique perspective that you're sharing with this world? Yeah. It's really your point of view. And this is one of, this is like one of the foundational things that I share with people. When we talk about going into the coaching space, starting a business, you know, building a business around your ideas, you have to have a point of view. And unfortunately for most people, we've had that muscle atrophy over the years, especially if you come from a corporate background, especially if you come from law, politics, government, education, healthcare, finance, they have these things called regulatory and compliance, right? Right, right. So anytime you say anything that is of your own opinion, you're almost afraid of getting your wrist slapped. Then you enter this world of podcasting and content creation and sharing your expertise. And that muscle is atrophied so much. So it's really your ideas. It's your point of view, your perspective, mm -hmm. your expertise, what you know, and what you can do for others, mm -hmm. your reputation, which is what people say about you and how you carry yourself. Right. And so, um, and your personality, who you are, right. you know, who you naturally are, your energy, you know, your, your, the, 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 the feeling, the aura that you carry it's all of those things. And in some cases, more image, how you dress, all these other things. But really, when I narrow it down, it's those four things that I form love our that. personal brand. I love that. So f I think you bring an interesting perspective to it. You know, like, are you in corporate? Are you in these, these places that have strong regulatory and compliance requirements? From my perspective, because I see this a lot with my clients as well, it's like, I, can, I, can I say that? Am I going to... And it, it often doesn't, sometimes it comes out as a very clear, like, am I, am I crossing the line? Like it's a very conscious uh, perspective thought that's happening internal. And sometimes it's just like, I'm afraid to be visible right now because we're not taught that it's okay to be a full self-expression, full, full expression of ourselves. We're taught that if we make a mistake or offend anyone, that we should feel bad about who we're being in this world and you've done something wrong and it, it causes you to just shrink back. So I find that, um, I find that a really big thing. So how do you help people? You know, it's a confluence, right? Like, are you owning your expertise? Are you owning your lane? Are you owning the, your personality, all of that? But how do you help people um, break through and really own their message and get it out in this world so that, you know, their clients can resonate with them and actually become, um, their potential clients can resonate with them and actually become a client? Yeah, you know, marketing kind of gets this bad rap, right? People don't really like that word. And yet they realize they have to do it uh, in some way, shape, or form. So the first thing, two things. The first thing is I try to reframe marketing. And I tell people, marketing isn't about closing a sale. It's about opening a relationship. And to your point, building relationships, um, marketing is a way that you do that. Now, how do you do that? That leads me to the second point. Now, you and I have been in this industry long enough to know that there are people who build a quote-unquote personal brand, and they're just not doing it right right? It's just kind of sleazy. It's, and so I, what I've seen are two, two ways people do it and neither of them work. So I'm going to pick a fight here, right? Okay. Pick a fight. <laughs> um, 
And I'm going to listen to see if I've ever done any of these things, because one of the things that I'm just going to own for my audience and I own for my clients all the time is like, you know, I'm unafraid to make mistakes at this point. Mm. I've made so many, but you can't get, (laughs) you you can't, you can't get anywhere if you're afraid to make a mistake, but I am going to listen to see if, oh yeah, that's how I didn't do it. Right. I could do better here because it's really important when you're talking to someone who has a level of expertise that might for instance, that Mike has, you have to like, I'm constantly learning and filtering and, and understanding whether it's a, a it's something that I've done, not as a guilt and shame perspective, but like, oh, I could improve on that. So I just frame it for the audience that listen and see how this might be something that you've done. Don't knock yourself down at the knees if it is, but you know, let's clean it up if we need to. Absolutely. And I'm going to give two really extreme examples, but we can all find some element of ourselves in, to some extent in these two examples. So on one hand, Amir, we have these people who are completely just selling a false version of themselves, right? And again, to the extreme, there are people who will rent an Airbnb, a mansion on Airbnb, have a photo shoot and imply that it's their house, right? Yeah. They're impl- and if you buy my mastermind program or what the, you know, you can be as successful as I am. Now that's an extreme example. I was just talking to someone yesterday about this. And I have to say, Mike, in some ways I'm a little naive because that is not something that I've ever done. Right. And I just think I look at this through my lens and I'm like, who does that? Who does that? (laughs) And yet, you know, we were going through, you know, you know, you and and would you say now when you go to someone's website or your you go to someone's social media feed that you can tell like I can tell instantaneously if someone is uh I, well I can't tell in certain so I'm gonna just say some sometimes the story is so deep that it, it it's hard to to tell but there are other places where I'm like you're talking about being a multi seven figure coach and I know that you're not like just by mm-hmm. looking at what's mm-hmm. going on here. And, and it, it, I, I, I recognize it and I wonder what's driving that. I know what's driving it. It's fear. It's insecurity. It's thinking that you have to be something you're not in order to get ahead. But in, but it, it might fool some people, but it doesn't fool everyone. And, and why would you want to do that anyway? So I get, I get a little bit, um, on my high horse and righteous, not, yeah. not by a, like a, you're a bad human being, but that is not a way forward. That makes sense. It doesn't, it's not going to ultimately give you what you want. Absolutely. These are people who don't understand that attention is earned. It's not yeah. owed to you through yeah. image. So you have people who do this to some extent, you know, we've all done this to some extent. Maybe we like, like to fudge our numbers or whatever, but I'm just presenting a way that people do it and why it doesn't work. Now on the flip side of people who try to sell image, you have people who overshare in the name of authenticity. And authenticity is this big buzzword right now. And everybody wants to talk about being authentic and being real. But here's what these folks do, Amira. They are selling their struggles. They're not really selling a solution. These are like folks who are uh, if you've ever been on the highway and unfortunately seen a car accident and traffic comes to a crawl, these people get a lot of attention, but it's short-lived. And 
this just happened the other day. I will rail on this forever. It's like people who post a nasty photo of their injured cut open foot on Facebook. Yo, man, nobody wants to see that. That is not being authentic. That is, I need attention because I'm in pain. Everyone look at my gross injury. Who knows who the heck you're triggering that day? In all honesty, you know, yeah. I'm kind of joking, but in all honesty, they post pictures of a car accident they were in. Good God, what if it's like somebody who's following you lost their loved ones to a car accident? Way to go be a leader, jerk face. <laughs> yeah, you know? totally. And so these two extremes, neither of them work. So what does work? You asked me, like, how do I get people to start? I first tell them marketing is about opening a relationship. It's not closing a sale. But secondly, the things that you share online, you're, we're going to all make mistakes. That's totally fine. I love how you frame that. But I ask people a simple question. And this is their litmus test. Ask yourself, can I build a campfire around what I'm sharing? Hmm. And by that, I mean, is it warm? Is it inviting? Is it inclusive? Is it a place where people can gather stories and share stories? Is it stuff that you're sharing? Is the stuff that you're sharing, uh, are you able to build a community around it? Is it a like, a, is it a light in a dark place in a dark yeah. evening? Are so, you becoming a person people want to hang out with at a campfire? Totally. So yeah. talk to me about the strategy that you hear out there sometimes, like any publicity is good publicity. Like that kind of attitude is to me in direct uh, conflict with the idea of campfire. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it lasts for a long time. I think there are folks who can, for whatever reason, grow up in the public eye. They can make mistakes and they can re reinvent themselves. But there's something about them from the beginning that people see good in. These are like characters that you watch on a TV show and you see the character development over a couple of years. And they're just this obnoxious you know, person in the beginning and they grow and mature over time. But if you are starting a coaching business, <laughs> you are starting a business where you're trying to go consult brother, sister. I know most of the folks who listen to us today are, are, are ladies. You don't have time to grow up in front of everybody. Do the hard work of working on yourself and become the person you're trying to sell to people. You are the brand. So you 100%. might as well become a better one. You know, that's my point. And so, so I ask, yeah, I ask people this a lot. And let me, let me just say this, because I think an example will help. A few, few weeks ago, um, I got a copy of, of my book in the mail and I showed it to my mom and I happened to videotape her and, you know, it was super sweet and she doesn't like being videotaped. She's probably going to kill me that I posted it. And Amir, so many people resonated. I didn't, I didn't make a marketing pitch. I didn't add quote value bombs mm -hmm. in the video. It was just a campfire moment. Who can't resonate with a mom being proud of her kid? Yeah. And it's, that's what I'm talking about. It's yeah, sure. We can get strategic. Is this going to create this many likes and metrics and engagement? Toss it out the window. For most of us in this space, we don't need to worry about all that stuff. Just ask mm -hmm. yourself, is what I'm sharing something that can build community around? Yeah, no, I love that. It's such a, it's such a clear litmus test. It's really straightforward. It's really straightforward. Let's talk about why people get confused about this. 
like I think on the two extremes that you've given, it's I have to be more than I am. And on the other side, it's like I have to denigrate myself and be in struggle less than the 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 truth of who I am, which is probably much more competent, generous on it than what you're presenting. Like, why do you think people go to these two extremes versus this very straightforward way of like, is this something that's going to help the world? Like, is this something that's going to really, you know, build a connection with other people? Very straightforward, sort of easy, easy path there. I can't speak for other people, but I'll speak from my experience. And you asked such great questions. So I've got a like I've got it mad, mad props. Um, I think for me, the reason it took me a long time to really just sit in who I was is because I made a habit of looking for other people to define me. Yeah. I looked to my past positions at jobs that I had. I looked to um, my family or my friends who they said I was. I looked to my, uh, you know, my ex-wife to see who she said I was, to whom I'm Korean American. So a lot of cultural overtones there, right? Who I am in my culture's eyes. And we, we do not sit with ourselves in solitude, not in loneliness, but in solitude, and really do the deeper work of thinking who we are. One of the great questions um, I've seen work over the years in my own coaching practice is when I've asked people who are in various stages of business, wherever they are, who do you have to become in order to serve the people you want to serve? That's such a big question. It's the best question. It's not only like, who do you want to become to serve those people, but to, to have the life that you want to be the person that you want. And because I, I do bottom line, like let's not avoid the numbers. Let's not avoid income. Mm -hmm. Right. Like to, to, to make the income that you really desire, who do you need to be? Cause it's not being the, the fake or the person who's falling apart, like who's, who's oversharing the, the challenges, if you will, of life. And, and there are challenges of life. Okay, let's go there for a moment. I'm going off on a little squirrel moment, but I want to, I want to, I think it's an important piece. So there's a line between sharing stuff that gets you attention, even if it's negative attention, being in your, um, I'm going to call it drama. Okay. In, and struggle, if you put that out there. And I know for me, this, I'm going to, you know, opening the doors. Here's, here's the thing. When, when someone's a client of mine, when they're in the inner circle, they know, like, I'm a badass in all these ways. I'm going to hold you to a higher standard like this and this and this. And I also shared the personal stories about, you know, this is how I used to show up. And this is how I show up now. And there was this place where I didn't do it well, right? And I think it's important for people to see the not perfect, perfect version of success because it's not perfect, perfect. There's a thousand and one things that happen all the time that, you know, if it wasn't making you into a better person, you'd want to do do over. But, you know, it's, it's the reality of building a, a business. So what's your take on, or is there like a little, is it just the campfire litmus test? Maybe it's the same answer there. It could, 
could very well be like, how do you decide when to share the what's happening behind the scenes, not the curated behind the scenes, but the real behind the scenes with your audience? I draw a line between authenticity and transparency. Mm -hmm. Let me elaborate. I think transparency is reserved for very few people in our lives. Your counselor, your intimate relationships, your closest friends. You know, a couple of years ago, I went through a divorce and I decided to be open about it, authentically open about what I was going through with my audience. I wanted them to know. They didn't hear the gory details. They're not entitled to that. You know, and Amira, so much, so much, so much of the time, we're so afraid of being personally like rejected. Like we're so afraid yeah. of rejection and reaction from our crowd. Listen, I mean, my friends, very few people have the right to personally reject you because they don't personally know you. And, and I've you had only to allow them to in. reject you if you allow them to reject you also, right? Yeah, they, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that distinction between transparency and authenticity, I can say people have, how, how is it to write, write, write a book? I hated every minute of it. That's an authentically an answer, right? That's authentically an answer. Um, transparently, I mean, I'll go out on a limb here. My friends will be like, wow, you really didn't sleep at all. You drank too much whiskey, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you can go into all those gory details, but that's not going to build community. That's like, that's going to be, those are going to be triggers. You know, I've also heard it said, and I love this phrase, this is not me, but you know, you share from your scars, not your open wounds. Yeah. And so when you share kind of how you used to show up, of course, it makes you relatable. Of course, it helps people understand that they're not alone. And that is the authenticity people are looking for. It's not, let me show you my nasty gash on my foot on Facebook, everybody. Totally. You know, which yeah. repels. And so this line is different for everyone. I, I, that it's up to everybody. But what I've found is the general rule, and it's a principle, you know, in some ways, if you can share authentically from places that are scars that have healed to some degree, rather than from open wounds, you're going to win more people to you than not. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's really kind of how I see that distinction. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's important also if you are a coach or a consultant or, or someone who is, um, selling advice, selling a how to navigate, whether it's in whatever industry it is in, give yourself some time to figure out how you would have done it differently. How would you have bettered your best so that you can learn from the experience and present the, the challenge that you faced along with the, the improvement that you would make the next time because, and that you have better yet that you have made, right? Like that you then put into effect because, you know, we, we do want to see that, that, that it worked. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's something powerful there. And I think this requires that people understand that they don't need to be perfect in life to be successful that they can, they, they can be human. They can be in the mess, the messiness, right. And, you know, share the authentic version of that, that also comes with a, a a powerful lesson or helpfulness that, that you can give from it so that it betters everyone, not just yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, you know, for a lot of us who people trust, 
not just with ideas or a business idea, like they're trusting us with their lives in a lot of, yeah. in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, if you can exhibit to people that you're able to hold your own story, yeah, then you can hold other people's stories. There are so many folks out there in this expert space who've built a brand on image, built a reputation on, you know, the, the, the fancy stuff and, you know, not a lot of it's true and they're not able to hold their own story. They're not able to sit in it. And this is what you were talking about just a few minutes ago. Why can I feel it? I can just feel this vibe. A pro recognizes another pro. A person who's done hard work can recognize another person who's done hard work. Like, yeah. tell me I'm wrong there, right? No, you are not you wrong. There are it. no short shortcuts, yeah. right? You just mm-hmm. like, you can go quicker in life than slower. I, that is a hundred percent true, but you have to do the work and you have to like, and then the, the tweak that I would give there is, and, and I know that you'll agree with this. You have to have done the work and then you have to have like, then you have to fall in love with having done the work, right? Then you have to love that process of, of doing the work. That's what really sets you up for success. And I can tell when I'm talking to someone who loves doing the work, they know it's work. They know that some, some days are like 14 hour days and you know, it's like cray cray. And what have I gotten myself into? And why are we doing this marketing launch this way? And oh my God, right? Like there's all of that. Okay. And yet, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, you love the work now. I, I love the process. Um, the adventure to me is the actual journey. Yeah. You know, when I was quote unquote, becoming my brand, there were definitely areas of life I had to do deep work in. There still are, yeah. but the process of building a warm, inviting campfire for other people to gather around, it helped me get healthier and become more successful. And the funny thing is, I have found the more I work on myself, the more money I make. And oddly enough, the less I care about the money. Yeah. Right. And you're not going to make it far in this line of work before you confront your own dissonance. If you just want to make money, flip houses, do weird things on the internet. (laughs) There's a lot of different ways to make money. This is not the way to do it if you just want to make money. Yeah. But if you truly want to help people and you truly want to become the best version of yourself, this is the way to do it. But you aren't going to go very far before you confront your own dissonance. And it's not very long after you confront some dissonance and work through it that you find more that you can work through. So you've got to love the process. I completely agree with you. Yeah. So give us an example of you finding your own dissonance in the business world. Like, like, like when you were writing this book, what was the dissonance then? Or when you were re rebranding your brand, what was the dissonance then? like, get, give our audience one like concrete thing. And I'll do the same. I'll try and find one yeah. so that it, it, cause, cause it sounds, sounds good. It sounds, but, but it can, can become very meta, right? Very mm-hmm. just high theoretical mm-hmm. versus like in the moment. So let me actually go back to like what set me down this path to this career. Um, I, I don't even know if you knew this for years, I was involved in a Christian church. Okay. And for four years, I was the music director, music director of this pretty large church in new England. 
And in 2009, Father's Day, I flew out to Colorado to go visit this guy who was kind of doing the same job I did, except his his church was like 20,000 people. And I was like 30 years old, Amir. I was like, I've always been hungry for mentorship, right? So I fly out there. I'm like, hey, can I just can I just meet you for an hour? I just need to pick somebody's brain. I don't know who to talk to. I want to do well in this job. And he's like, why don't you fly out here? I'll meet with you and stay for a few days because we're hosting a conference. So I go out there and I tell you, this guy's name was Ross. He was literally and figuratively at the top of the mountain. I walked into his office. His whole back window was a panorama of the Rockies. Like it was one of those offices that were all glass. The wall was all glass. And I had this great conversation, but this crazy thing happened. I met with him on Father's Day for an hour and I went back to my hotel and I asked myself, this guy's about 45, I'm 30, you know, 31. If everything goes right in my life, do I want this guy's life in 14 years? And the answer was no. And it was the first time that I really realized I was climbing this mountain only to realize after I met someone at the top of the mountain, it was the wrong mountain. And I started to ask myself, when you look back at your life, are you going to be proud that all you did was write and perform music for 30 minutes on Sunday for the same 900 people? And I said, no, no, actually, no. What about if it was 20,000 people? I would say, no. (laughs) What if it was this guy's job? No. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. I did not expect that. And so my life started to slowly take a different turn instead of, um, you know, reading all these other, I started to line my shelves with personal development and business books. And I looked at books on trying to reinvent myself. I turned off gossip for men, also known as sports talk radio. (laughs) I love that gossip for men. Gossip for men. And I started listening to podcasts, you know, self-development people, business people, just reinventing your career people. And it just started me down this journey. And when I, when I say that, I mean, I was successful at my job. People knew me from my job. My old music is still on iTunes. Yeah. And I, in all these years, the 10, 12 years since, I've, I've revamped my understanding of spirituality, of God, of life. So for me to stay in that role all of these years till today, it, I would have been a fraud, to be honest. It 100%. would not have been an integrity. So- yeah, to me, that dissonance or the, the converse of that, which is integrity, is living a life worthy of your own respect. And yeah. I took a shot. You did, too. I know your story. Yeah. And um, we don't know what's on the other side, but it's sure of a hell lot better than than faking it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah, for sure. So what I love about that story, Mike, is that you felt the dissonance and you took a different action. You made a, a, a decision and you took a different course. Many people hear, feel, sense the dissonance and they don't, they don't act on it. They kind of suppress yeah. it, they push it away. I don't wanna look at that. It doesn't go away, you guys. It stays there, okay? So, so listen to that and then if, if you don't have clarity around it, allow yourself the time and space to find the clarity around it. 
Okay. And, and create what you really want. Super, super important. The other thing I love about that is that, that you, you didn't say this guy's life is bad. It wasn't like a value. You didn't have to reject someone or uh, do some sort of value judgment on it. You just were like, it's not for me. And you owned that going forward. And, and then am I right to say that this, that was a profound recognition for yourself that then you recognized this dissonance feeling over and over again, and now have that as a tool going forward in order to make good decisions for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, another, you know, my past is, my past isn't, it's, it's been an interesting journey. I also used to teach uh, high school students SATs, like get them ready for their college entrance mm -hmm. exams. And I was the critical reading teacher, which meant I was in charge of teaching vocabulary. So this one time, Amir, and this, this may help some of you are listening, you've, several times today, you've, you've used the word decide. And actually the root word of decide, the root is side, which means death suicide, homicide, pesticide, regicide, mm -hmm. right? So decide literally means to put to death every other option. That's what a decision is. So, so much of the time we feel things intuitively when we're waiting, we're waiting to um, kind of just like a boat that's being put into the water, just let the waves carry us in, right? Eventually let the tide come in and sweep us out off the shore. But more often than not, I've learned anything that I've had to do in my life that had a lasting impact, I always got to a moment where I had to kill the other options. Yeah. It was a binary choice, yes or no. Do I launch a podcast? Yes or no. At the end of the day, no matter how much I struggled back and forth, do I launch this product? Yes or no. Do I post this thing on social? Yes or no. Do I work out today? Yes or no. Do I drink today? Yes or no. Hopefully no but I decide no, right? And it has to be a putting to death. So I just want to encourage everyone who's listening. This is how we build our brand. This is how we build ourselves. We put to death every other option. So and good. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So one of the things that I talk about is the law of sacrifice. What do you need to, to sacrifice in order to step forward in that recognition? There is a decision. I choose this or I stay where I am. I stay tolerating my life the way it is, tolerating my business the way it is. I need to like, what need, if, if I'm going here, if I know that I want more for myself, what needs to be sacrificed? And then you have to make a decision. Now, oftentimes people think when I say love sacrifice, that you have to sacrifice your firstborn or something like that. It's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about sacrificing, sacrificing indecision, sacrificing like needing to be right. Okay. In order to make a decision, there are all these qualities to, to how to move forward in business. And sometimes you just have to sacrifice an old way of being in order to step into a new way of being. And then the other thing that I'm constantly saying, I'm surprised I don't have a, my, my mug out. I have mugs that say I am a quick decider because I, I think that it is so critical, not only to learn how to make decisions, but learn how to make decisions relative to yourself quicker. Okay. Mm. So if it, if you wobble around a decision, it's taking up your mental bandwidth, your mental, emotional bandwidth and energy and all of that. And, and it's keeping you from actually moving forward. So the faster you can make a decision, even if 
it doesn't turn out the way you want, you've actually moved your life forward, your business forward. You can always course correct. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because there, we make decisions every single day. We just don't realize it. Um, now it's making intentional decisions and sometimes decisions intentionally that are not going to be so pleasant in the beginning, but will have lasting effects later. Uh, one of the things that I've done over the last couple of months is I started watching all these YouTube videos about like, you know, your health and energy levels. And I came across this guy, Wim Hof, who talks about oh, yeah. like cold therapy. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, listen, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I've decided I'm going to take cold showers in the morning. I'm going to do it. And man, every day I wake up, it is a decision. And there have been days where I've stared at the shower, at the shower handle. Like, do I turn that dial? And I've been staring at the stupid thing for two or three minutes. I'll be, I would have been done with the shower by now if I just went in. And I'm just learning this, right? Just exercising this every single day. It's like, it's going to suck in the beginning. I'm going to feel great afterwards. And you just, you just learn. I love what you said about that being a quick decider, because in the beginning I was delaying the decision. I could have been all about my day already. And I've been looking at the faucet for three minutes. I could have been done with the shower. And yeah, it's such a good analogy. Right? It, 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 it's just crazy what we don't realize we do um, every single day. And yet we make a thousand micro decisions. I'm going to open Instagram. I'm going to waste time on social media. We're making decisions all day. Yeah. It's just becoming self-aware enough to know that, we need to apply that same muscle in other areas, even if it's not pleasant. Yeah, I love it. Okay, I'm gonna shift the topic a little bit and go back to relationships because one of the things that I knew intuitively when I first met you, and then it's just been so clear every time we have a conversation, is you're, you are relationship-based and you are doing this both on a one-to-many social media campfire, book, podcast uh, level. And then you also do it one-on-one -on -one with people. Can you talk about the balance is a funny word, but like how you, when you're intentional about creating individual relationships with people and how you select which relationships you'd like to foster and, and develop, and the balance of the, that with the, the one-to-many, because obviously, you know, time is the thing we, we don't get to recreate, you know, it's a limited resource. So there's 24 hours in the day, you gotta sleep some of the days. Like if you're having one-on-one -on -one relationships with, with everyone, like, is that scalable? And I'm gonna add one little more data point to, to this and then hand the mic over to you. I built a seven figure business, more than seven figure business on creating one-on-one -on -one real relationships with people I, while scaling the, the more leveraged stuff. But to be honest, if, if I pulled back, open the back end of my business and showed everyone all of that, you'd be, you'd be looking at me kind of cockeyed, like the way my dog looks at me like, hmm? Like, how did you build that business with this limited number of names in your database, if you will? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I know it's about relationships, but I haven't done the deeper work in terms of assessing how that actually plays out. So can you give me some insights on that as well? 
Yeah, I totally resonate with you in terms of time. We're all busy. Um, I think people would also be surprised how I've built my business with relatively a small amount of people or clients um, or email lists, you name it. Um, but what's really helped me is to think of relationships mirror spatially. I'm a, I'm a spatial and visual guy. So this is the way I look at relationships, at least in business. Partner up, collaborate across, and mentor around. That's always really helped me. And what it's done is it has, number one, prevented me from putting everybody in the same bucket. Yeah. To which then creates a lot of un, like unsaid expectations, which can lead to disappointment, right? Um, either on my part or their part. So when I'm looking at a partner up, this is somebody that can really up level my game in some way, shape, or form. And they have access to people opportunities that I do not have on my own. And they would be a huge benefit to me. So I need to ask myself, how can I be a benefit to them? How can I be a partner up to them? This is why over the years, I've still taken client work. I don't do a lot of client work anymore. But over the last three or four years, I've taken client work with partner ups. And because I didn't come in as a competitor, I rather came in as a collaborator. They'd hire me to run their launch, write their copy, write their book in some ways. I just helped them get what they want. And I was nice and I was approachable, easy to work with. They're like, dude, we're so happy with you. Can we, do you want to speak to our audience? Boom, done, right? Yeah. So it was not a, hey, John Maxwell, hey, Donald Miller, like, I'm amazing. I'm like, like we're on the same plane. Like, no, they, in some way, shape, or the universe brought all these opportunities to me. I attracted them. And yet when they came, I was like, these guys are a partner up for me. It's going to actually be very, they can give me something more than a paycheck. Yeah. They can give me, authority. They can give me connections. They can give me influence. So that was a partner up. A collaborate across is where I see my friends and colleagues, peers, people who are genuinely a gamers, no slouches here. You're one of these folks, right? We just, a pro recognizes a pro, right? And we'd respect each other. We love each other. We help each other out in a way that makes sense to trust audiences with one another. I think that's one of the biggest signs of trust. When someone says, this audience that I've worked, put blood, sweat, and tears into to, to build, uh, I want you to come speak to them. And so it's a huge honor for me. And yet we're growing together and we want different things than maybe a partner up. I don't expect Tony Robbins or John Maxwell to call me on my cell phone every other day and be like, hey, loved your launch. Uh, how are you doing? I don't expect it. My friends who I collaborate across with send them email, send a text, pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, we all need friends and allies, right? You yeah. sent me this, this wonderful kit of, of, um, of uh, uh, gin. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is <laughs> and I was on the road for a month and I came back home. I was like, what is this? And I, I just, I, it's like, wow, thank you so much. And it's just helping. So that collaborate across is huge. And then we have our tribes, quote unquote, if you will, right? Our audience, the people we coach the people who work with us. I try to mentor the contractors who work with me. I want anyone who comes across my path 
to feel my life has been positively impacted in some way because I know or got to work with or cross paths with Mike. Yeah. Um, I, my, my, uh, she's now my integrator, but she started out as my executive assistant five years ago, Chelsea Brinkley. And I said, during the job interview, I said, what do you want to do with your life? She's like, I want to be, you know, digital nomad and blah, blah, blah. I was like, run my own business. I was like, all right, the day that working for me gets in the way of doing that, you're fired. You're going to have to stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's done it and she wants to stay yeah. and she's still doing it. And it's just, we have these people that we're, the universe entrusts us with that are in our inner circles or in our mastermind groups, coaching groups, and you mentor them. That has always helped me spatially. So I don't know if that helps you at all. That's just made sense to me to yeah. not let things get so like all in one bucket and feel like I have to text everybody all the time. And, you know, there are different dynamics to these relationships. And then of course, some of them come back, you know, in different seasons or for a different reason. And I know yeah. I've been rambling for a little bit, but you know, that that's really how it's worked for me to help me understand where these, these relationships lie spatially. I love that framework. So it's partner up, say it again. It's partner up, collaborate partner up, across, collaborate across and, and mentor around mentor around. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's fantastic. I love that. One of the things that I see in that, like looking at it from the lens that I teach is like giving is the first law of receiving in each of those categories you're, you're receiving, obviously you're receiving, but you're also like, how can I partner up? Right. How can I, you, you talked about how, what can I give them first? Right. How can I share my brilliance and help them out? And, and you're doing that with the collaborate across folks. Like, you, you know, when someone needs a hand up or assist or like a high five, like, how can you, how can you give? Right. And, and the mentorship is not just with the clients, but with your team, which is so, so important. I'm, I'm, I'm about to record a podcast episode on this. I don't know when we'll drop it, but it's coming soon. I was just reading uh, Thomas Keller's book, The French Laundry Per Se. Do you know who Thomas Keller is? No, no. no. Okay. Thomas Keller is like this uh, Michelin star chef. Uh, he's one of the the most amazing sort of chefs in the the, the U.S. in the the food scene, and he's been around for a long time. And he's been able to iterate and and expand and grow. And it's it's a very interesting story. But I was reading his and I was no no but and I was reading his book. It's a recipe book, but I was. I'm not going to make those recipes. Those are 10 day recipes, right? Like, but I was reading the, the introduction and I was coming to tears about his approach to growing his business because it was all about how he mentored his team and, and how the guests were always their first priority, but, but he really grew his team at each and every step. Did he do it perfectly from the get-go? No, but like the way he was able to really create a space for people's greatness was truly amazing. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of not just your clients, but the, the contractors and employees that work with you, like everyone we come across with, how can we create a space for, for them to thrive as well. 
Now, yeah. there is mm -hmm. there is a little caveat here, and mm -hmm. then I'm going to throw the mic to you. One of the things you may not know this about him, but he has a high standard of excellence. Like he's no slouch, right? Like if you're if you're not working at high level, you're not going to be working with him, right? But once you you prove yourself as someone who's going to raise their game and always be raising their game and always be working at a high level, he's a hundred percent behind you. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Okay. I give this back to you. I love that. I mean, I just typed out his name. I'm going to go get the book. That sounds, yeah. I'm so into that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because we sometimes think like, well, Mike, how am I supposed to partner up? Like, what do these people want? I don't have anything I can give them. At the end of the day, they're all human. Um, I remember my first online mentor, his name was Michael Hyatt. I don't know how I found him. I probably Google searched how to blog and his, his stuff came up and I just kind of got into his world. And at the time he probably had like a million email subscribers and a hundred thousand Twitter followers and whatever. I was like, okay, cool. I took his course and I realized that now instead of one of 100,000, I was one of a thousand. And then out of the thousand people that were in his course, like no one was really doing any of the work. So I was like, I can be, go be one of 10 people who actually go talk to him on a Q&A call. I couldn't believe people didn't show up for these calls. And I found this little trick that if I called in on the phone, his team was always taking people who called in and on Twitter and, you know, via webinar, but nobody called in. So I, this one time for like three or four months in a row, I talked to him directly on these calls. And so he got to know who he was, who I was. And I realized he was paying a lot of attention to his customers, yeah. rightfully so. And no one else was really doing the work. So if I did the work and I shared about his content and how helpful he was on my blog, I was going to give him something that nobody else was giving him, which was publicity, which was a good testimonial. And I said, I am going to become this guy's best case study. And what which happened? is which is a win-win for both of you, right? I mean, yeah. that's an overused expression, but he actually had something that he was teaching that was viable and powerful and was going to get you the, to the next level. If you did the work, you win without anything else happening, right? Because you get the results. But I get the results, he, yeah. he also gets the publicity, which is such a, a, a great thing. Okay, finish this. Well, story. then he, he started tweeting all my stuff. Because he's like, here's one of my protégés, if you will. And he put me on a webinar with him and Stu McLaren, who's a big guy in the membership site space now. And that's how Stu and I got to know each other. Because I was a case study on his webinar. So now all these people are like, who's this Mike Kim guy that Mike I just put on his webinars? That was a partner up for me. He was my mentor. He was he was a, he was a teacher. He was a coach. Um, and I was just one of many in his program. It wasn't an expensive program, but I gave this guy something that other people weren't giving him. I was writing blog posts about him, about his programs. And he endorsed my book. He said, yes, right away, all these years later. Why not? Why wouldn't he? Right. And then when I look at a collaborate across, I remember right around that time at one of this guy's events, I met another guy named Jared Easley and we just hit it off. And I listened to his podcast and I did the same thing. I wrote a little nice blog post about his podcast. He didn't know I did it. And he found it on Facebook. He's like, dude, can we talk? We talked. Little did I know this guy two years later would go on to start podcast movement. 
He's the founder of Podcast Movement, the largest podcast conference on the planet. Jared is the is the guy who gave me my first ever business speaking opportunity at his conference, right? When I was coming out of that whole church world. Now, here's the thing. All these years later, this dude has upped his game. He's got 5,000 people coming to his event. If I don't up my game, even though we're collaborating across, he can't be like, hey, to his, to his board, be like, hey, my buddy Mike needs a place to speak. Can we give him a shot? Like, I've got to show up at that level. He, the par for the course is raised, yeah. right? And so what happens for a lot of us who are starting out we see people like that, or we see Amira and her friends, and we see, and I'm just saying this to all your listeners now, it's easy for you to chalk that up to, oh, sh- sh- they're just elitist. They just hang out with other successful people. No, there's a special rapport because they went to school together, quote unquote. On, like if you've ever met an old friend from school, college, high school, there is a special rapport, even if you haven't stayed in touch all those years. You go back a long time. So what I've realized, Amir, is like for a lot of these quote unquote experts who partner with each other, they actually cut their teeth at the same time. They've all upped their game. It's why Jared had me come to speak at his conference. And we're still friends till this day. I'm speaking yeah. to his audience next in the next two weeks because of the, the, the launch and everything. He's like, I want to help you out. Yeah. But it's really, that's why when you're in these coaching groups, with a coach like Amira, she's your coach, she's your mentor, she's your she's a leader in that sense. But join them just as much for the friends you're gonna make. Like 100%. you're gonna co- the people who are in this group with you are gonna be the people you collaborate across with. Yeah. So see it that way. I just and she did not pay me to say that. I this did is not me pay him to say from that. Legit <laughs> life experience. That's how it works. It does, and it's and it's huge and. I will tell you that I have, I've not framed it the way you framed it. So I love, I now I'm going to totally steal this framework (laughs) from you. I'll give you credit, but I'm going to use it. But like that partner up thing, I've seen how I've done that. Like that used to be my mentor. Now I share clients with her and I will, I will, you know, um, give her the people come to me and ask me, you know, she legit. And I just, gave her a raving review recently and there are, you know, and, and it's no skin off my back. And I love, in fact, I love supporting people who are doing great things that comes back always. Okay. And then there are people who, whom I've met in groups or at conferences where absolutely you see them later and they're like, they've, they, they're walking the path at the same time. And, and they are your new coll- collaborators and the people who now I paused there that my little thought process was like, I was five steps ahead in my head. Some people don't keep going. And that's also a really interesting, I think that's an interesting nuance and discernment piece that you have to look at. Like when you are collaborating across my stance has always been, I'm treating everyone with respect. I'm, I'm going to assume that they're freaking badass and that they're going to go for more. But then if they, they stop doing that, then it naturally just kind of goes in a different direction. Yes. Um, but not everyone that you meet is going to be someone who's going to be 
the head of podcast movement in five years, right? Like some people that you interacted with, you know, they haven't stepped up their game. And that's an interesting um, perspective as well. Something to think about in terms of energy output and things like that. Um, I have people that come back to me. I'm always open to helping people out. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud as we're doing this podcast, but I'm always open to helping people out because I feel like um, unless they're not doing something ethical, if they need a, a helping hand and it's within the the, the uh, purview of what I can actually do that makes sense to the business and everything, then, then I'm always willing to help. Do you have the same perspective? I do. And I, you know, it's so interesting that you mentioned people who just kind of stop or, or yeah. give up. Um, in the last probably four months, I've been really busy, you know, kind of gearing up for, for this book launch. And this was the time for me to leverage or quote unquote cash in. I don't like that phrase, but really ask for a favor from these relationships that I've built over the years. And I've had, uh, you know, good relationships with some very influential podcasters. And they, you know, they asked me two years, three years ago, Hey, you want to come on the show? I'm happy to have you. I'm like, I'll reach out when I really need you. And then I called them, I called them back, texted them back or emailed. Hey, remember three years ago, you told me to come on the show and I told you, I really need you. This is that time. And they all said, yes. And here's the other, the funny thing, Amir, then I looked at people I used to be in mastermind groups with who I knew had podcasts. I knew who they had blogs and I don't blanket email people. I do it all individually. And I just, I wonder how Ann's doing. I wonder how Kevin's doing. I remember they started their podcast and I haven't listened to it for a while. Let me go on iTunes and see how their show is doing. And they stopped two years ago, three years ago. And I was actually taken aback by how many people I saw who stopped. And I was like, they had really good shows. They had really good content. Why didn't they stop? And I learned this lesson just in the last three, four months. One of the things that really sets people who make it apart is they just don't stop. Yeah. Thank you for that underhanded pitch for my brand, right? The unstoppable woman, right? You just can't stop. Just don't stop. Yeah. Just be late if you need to struggle if you have to get help. There were times where I was like, I'm done on this podcast. I need to come co-host a few episodes with me. And I'd ask my friends, but whatever it takes, I decide, I put to death the option of stopping. Yeah. It's and such a differentiator, it. right? It's such mm -hmm. a differentiator, which is part of the reason why my company is called the unstoppable woman, because what are, there are so many things that like, cause us in our minds to come up with a rational, reasonable excuse, really alibi, not to stay in our decision. And we need to learn how to build that commitment muscle so that you stay persistent and you do the thing. And I will say that I'm, I am better at this, for instance, in my business than I am say in you know, my athletic commitments. Okay. Like I did not grow up in an athletic family. Okay. Like we got kudos for being able to make a good argument after reading the article in the newspaper. We did not get kudos for like going for a run. Okay. Wasn't that it was diminished, but it just wasn't, you know, the, the brand, the, of, of the family. And so when I 
started to, this was a few years ago, I made the, the decision to run a marathon, had no idea like what that was going to take at all. I was just like, I want to be a runner. I've always wanted to be a runner. I want to be a runner. I'm going to decide. I picked a, a date and a, a, a race signed up for it and announced it to everyone. That was like how I do decisions, right? Public accountability. <laughs> and then I realized that I did not leave myself enough time to train that I really was a couch potato and didn't know like anything about anything in terms of running. But I, I ended up training for six or seven months. And I ended up doing this run walk program because I didn't get to the place of being able to run 26 miles, but I got to a place where I could run walk 26 miles hmm. and I finished that marathon. I had to learn that level of a commitment to training and running consistently and not stopping despite it being too hot outside, too cold outside, being too late at night, being too, too whatever, right? I'm too tired. doesn't matter. I have too much on my plate. I had to keep doing it. That was a muscle that I had to, to build in a different arena of my life. So for those of you who are listening, who may be a gym rat who knows how to get to the gym every day, right? But with their business, they, like start and stop on things, realize it's a transferable skill. And yet you have to keep deciding every single day until it becomes a habit. So I love yeah. that. It's so yeah. true. So true. Yeah. And I want to announce to everyone, I'm going to use this as a little personal growth moment for myself. So I was talking to my man the other day and I was like, I, I did so well when I had that goal of running in the marathon. And then I, I learned such a great lesson from that, which is like, always have your next goal in place before you achieve the first goal. Um, but I didn't know that back then in this arena. So I stopped running after about three or four weeks after the marathon. I was like, that's fascinating. So mm. I'm running a marathon, doing it again, I'm going to do it in 2022. I haven't yeah. picked the date because they don't have, I know I have to do it. I have to like, um, I want to actually run it this time, not run, walk it. So I have to figure yeah. out how long the training is going to be, but that's the next commitment for me. I love it. I love yeah. it. I okay. think there's so much you can learn about yourself through how you push yourself physically. Yeah, It's just so clear. I mean, for, for most people, it is the biggest blocker. I mean, it was for me and I played sports in high school. And just when I reframed, I stopped using the word workout or exercise mm. and I started using the word train and changed everything for me. Just Ooh, that reframe. I love that. Yeah. Am love I going to train that. today? Am I going to train my body today after sitting on Zoom calls for eight hours? Or am I not going to train my body? You decide. And um, one of the most helpful things, I've got it right here. Those watching on YouTube, it's my workout notebook. Okay. And I write down everything that I've done. Yeah. And this is months. And every time I put something where I've improved, I put plus five pounds or plus three reps. And I look at this and this is evidence. Totally. It's evidence that I have put in the work. I'm healthier. It makes me show up different to my client work, to my, to my calls in life, in my relationships, in my friendships. Yeah. All data. That shows me I'm somebody who's willing to push past discomfort. So hundred percent. I am freaking using the train word. Train. I'm, I am letting go of workout and exercise. I'm training. I love training. that. 
Okay. Let's do two more things. (laughs) I want to hear, can you tell me like, I want to, I need to buy your book. I forgot to do that. I'm owning that. I need to go do that. Um, Tell my audience who's the person who needs to read this book. Like why, why would I read this book and, and like make that argument. I'm, I'm reading this book because Mike is freaking brilliant. And I've learned so much (laughs) from him in this conversation that you've all gotten to listen into and because he's a friend and I want to support him. So both reasons I want to learn from him and I want to support him. What's the reason my audience would want to, you know, open this book? What is, what is the, the problem it solves, if you will? It actually shows you how to build a tangible business around something as intangible as your ideas, expertise, reputation, and personality. This is the gap that I've seen in this market for the last seven or eight years. We all know that there are courses on blogging or storytelling or copywriting or podcasting. Amira, no one teaches you how to put it all together. So what most people end up doing is they do, they commit random acts of marketing. They Frankenstein everything together. Like Dr. Frankenstein, they take a podcasting course here, this course there, a mindset course here, and they end up putting this thing together because nobody teaches them how to do it. And they end up like Dr. Frankenstein did with a monster, a non-revenue generating, time-sucking, horrible monster. And I believe even the folks who have quote unquote made it don't really know how to explain how they did it. It is no secret. There are many people making six, even seven, eight figures in this personal brand expert business. But when I deconstruct how they did it and how I built the brands for some of these people and how I built my own brand, there's actually a process in the same way that if you decided to open a pizza shop down the street, there'll be a process. Scout the location, write up a business plan, get a loan, get the ovens, hire the help, do the more. There's a process. This business has a process. No one has talked about it because they've been too busy selling really, really specific products because that's what sells. So I laid out this eight-step framework. I call it the brand you blueprint. And the first three steps really have to do with who you are and what your message is. Because it's hard to sell something when you have nothing to say. (laughs) Okay. You have to have something to say. Yep. Then it shifts gears to the monetization and the marketing part. And I deconstruct people like Brene Brown and Marie Kondo, you know, the, you know, talks about cleaning and, you know, decluttering your house. I talk about The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, and people like myself, John Maxwell, who, how do these people build all these brands, personal brands, quote unquote, in all these different markets of health, wealth, and relationships? How do we categorize these things? This is what I hope is sort of like the Rosetta Stone for people who are in this space or looking to get into this space. So the book is really written for corporate professionals who are looking to transition into the space and people who have started that side hustle, but are having really, or they're struggling to ramp up their business and find consistent clients and uh, make their marketing work. Why? It's because they don't have a brand. They don't have that identity. 
I freaking love this. I'm I'm on it on <laughs> quick ship and I want that. Is there an audio version of it? I am yes, so like there is. Oh, I there love is. that. Yes, I'm gonna yes. you're gonna be in my ear while I'm running, just All so right. you know. Um is this a good book as well for people who have service-based businesses that aren't in necessarily the consulting or coaching space? For instance, like a landscape designer or someone who does real estate investing um, as a service for other people or talk to me about those kinds of businesses that are like, yes. let's, okay, great. Absolutely. Here's why, because when it comes to marketing and, 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 you know, allowing people to see what problem you can solve for them. I was saying you have to be universal enough to be relevant, but specific enough to be believable. Right. So if I take some fancy marketing slogan, we, we help you bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. You ask 10 people what business that is, they'll, they'll give you 10 different answers because there's no context for it. It could be a financial planner. It could be a life coach. It could be um, a travel agent. It could be a million different things. So what's happening now, especially in the last three to four years, we've seen Instagram blow through the roof, YouTube blow through the roof, right? So we're seeing much more of a, a people's attention, society as a whole, being paid attention to people even more so than podcasts seven years ago and blogs. Now it's normal. We expect to see authors whose faces we've never seen and voices we've never heard on Instagram. We expect leaders of big companies, Sarah Blakely from Spanx. I talk about her, how she used her personal brand to further her company. So it doesn't matter if you're selling hard products, if you're selling, um, professional services in things that aren't coaching or consulting, you are the brand at the end of the the dentist, doctor, chiropractor, landscaper, doesn't matter. Every person I've hired in those capacities has been because I liked the person and I trusted them. Done. I love it. I love it. Freaking love it. Okay. My last question for you before (laughs) my second to last question my second to last question for you before some reflections, what makes you unstoppable? It is, I love this question. Deep inside, I want to be able to look back on my life whenever that is, whenever that day comes and say, I left it all on the field. Love it. People ask me, why'd you write this book to help people? I was like, no, I'm going to be honest because I, I, I would literally disrespect myself, not respect myself in the mirror if I didn't. I did it for me yeah. to be in authentic alignment with who I am and what I know I carry. Yeah. And that's what keeps me going in the mirror. Honestly, I yeah. do this. If I had all the money in the world, I'd do this. Yeah. This is, it's a self-worth piece. It's like, mm-hmm. I do this so that I, I am proud of who I am being. Yes. And each day I have to do more, not because I'm not good enough or there's some hole that I'm filling, but because it's my purpose. And if I don't live up to it, if I don't actualize it, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel worthy of my life. Yeah, I love it. Freaking love it. And where can people find you? I have one more thing that I want to share with you after this, but where can people find you and get your book and all of that sort of stuff? The book you can grab at youarethebrandbook.com. 
Amazon.com. We have a bunch of bonuses there uh, for anyone who picks up the book. And even if you buy it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble anywhere, um, just go to You Are The Brand book and you'll get a list of bonuses. I won't belabor all the bonuses, but they're pretty awesome. Uh, you can read about it all there at youarethebrandbook.com. And all the information will be there. I'm on, I've got my podcast. Of course, Mira has been on it. She was incredible. I got to listen to that episode. I'm on Instagram. That's my favorite social media channel right now uh, and on YouTube. So those are the places to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I like to wrap up my interviews with some reflections on my guests. And today I want to do that with you, Mike. So one of the things that I really see in you is that genuineness, like that genuineness of really wanting to help. Like this is this, this material that like, I think we could probably sit here for about five or 10 hours and it would, it would keep coming out. It's like, there's so much that you want to share and that you've given such uh deep thought to making it a framework that people can really understand and making it accessible. That concept of the campfire, that is so clear. I'm never going to lose that. Like I understand that completely now. And, and that is such an important aspect in a teacher, which you are, is, is to clarify, being able to clarify what is challenging for others to understand so that it, it becomes so much easier for them. So you really do that um, work in this world and you do it in such a um, authentic way. Uh, it's an overused phrase, but I think uh, it, it really fits here. And so generosity, authenticness and clarity. So thank you for bringing that to our, our podcast as well. Oh, thank you. That's so meaningful. This is so nice. I did not expect mm -hmm. this, but thank mm -hmm. you so much and it was an honor to be with you and for all who are listening thank you for just giving us you know your time today and um i just want to encourage you don't stop you're in good hands with amira and just don't stop your life is worth it just don't stop keep going yes thank you so much mike and i will talk to you and all of you listening very very soon thanks for being here and i'll catch you in the next episode Thank you so much for joining us and for being a part of the Unstoppable Woman movement. I want to let you know that we've got a ton of free resources for you for scaling your business at theunstoppablewoman.com slash free stuff. Please go ahead and check those out. And we'd also love your help in getting the message out. Share this podcast with all the unstoppable women in your life, your friends, your colleagues, your business besties. Please do that. And if you're game, we'd super duper duper appreciate a review on iTunes as well. Thanks so much and be unstoppable.